We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, Charger fans? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast. I am your host today, Kyle, hosting you guys for the first time as an official member of the Guilty as Charged team, and I couldn't be more thrilled. I figured, why not take it back to where we started? I've been so thrilled seeing you guys reach out on Twitter in the comment section asking questions like, hey, what does the Van Noy signing mean for our compensatory pick formula? And it's a great question. I don't know. I've been wondering the same thing. So why not in my first video hosting you guys as a member of the team, we kind of do a little review, a shout out back to our first video together with the compensatory pick formula and provide an update on what these recent signings will likely mean for our compensatory pick disbursement in 2024, which means, you know, our cancellation chart for 2023, how these acquisitions are going to affect that. So our original cancellation chart. Now, for those that missed the first video, I'll try to make sure that we get a link to that video in the description of this one. I would recommend you watch that one first, but if you already kind of know your compensatory picks or if you watch that video, you're in the right spot. So as you know, we already projected, it was already written in stone that we were not going to be getting compensatory picks that uh, in 2023. Our cancellation chart for 2022 was already going to way too heavily favor us bringing in a lot of talent versus us letting talent go. So as you can see, we let go of three individuals that ended up signing for, you know, uh, compensatory qualifying contracts, but we brought in four. And it was pretty clear after these three, Nwosu, Jones, and White, left that there wasn't going to be somebody behind them that was going to really rake in some dough for us. And I actually thought we might have added one or two more that would have been qualifiers for the compensatory pick formula, but that wasn't the case. So you can see I have my little wish list down there for what we could have done. But that, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but as you can see, I do keep receipts. I had my wish list, you know, David Questenberry, Dearness Johnson, Odea Bushi, and Tyron Matthew. And I went 0 for 4. So I apologize. I, like I said, this, I am not in the office. I do not have any sway over Tom Telesco. <laughs> but um, the actual signings that happened aren't the ones I would have made, except 
Kyle Van Noy was a brilliant signing. I love that one. But there would have been other things I would have done differently with this offseason, personally. But I'm very happy with where we are right now. And I do think we're still in a great position with the compensatory formula for next year. So these are this is a quick breakdown of the signings that even have a remote possibility of affecting the compensatory formula next year. Some of the people on here are going to immediately be like, oh, there's no way. But, um, you know, Kyle Van Noy, and sorry, the first four were just our major signings that are going to affect future seasons. But all of the more recent ones are only one-year deals, which is great. And many of these players are going to be in positions where they will have an opportunity to, you know, perform, to get the ball in their hands or, you know, get some good rotational reps on D that might justify them getting a decent contract next year. The recent signings being, for those that are, you know, listening and not watching, Kyle Van Noy, DeAndre Carter, Bryce Callahan, Will Clapp, Troy Reader, and Christian Covington. So, again, there's still a little bit of meat on the bone for opportunity out there in my mind, but I'm pretty happy with where we're sitting right now. It's pretty exciting. So let's take a look at real quick what this did to our projections for our unrestricted free agents in 2023. Jalen Guyton is listed on here, although he's technically a restricted free agent. But if you don't tender or uh, tender a restricted free agent, he then becomes an unrestricted free agent. So that's what I'm focusing on here. But anyway, our complete list of the 2023 undraft, or sorry, unrestricted free agents that I'm predicting could potentially have an impact on the formula or are just players I wanted to talk about right now are Jerry Tillery, Nasir Adderley, Christian Covington, Jalen Guyton, Trey Pipkins, Drew Tranquil, Storm Norton, Donald Parham, Kyle Van Noy, Bryce Callahan, Troy Reader, and DeAndre Carter. That's a pretty good grouping. And if you remember from our previous video, what we're hoping for is at least four of these players take off in a way this year that is going to justify them getting a contract next year that's going to qualify for a compensatory pick. So if, as you're looking at this list, can you see four? Can you see five or six? Because what if Tom does want to bring in a free agent, even though his buddy Kyle Dinamina-Cantanio is begging him not to? Um, that's, you know... That would be something that would help. If we have six guys that leave, then we can bring in a compensatory free agent or two. Or Tom just focuses on trading and signing after that period. We'll see. But I see a few players here that I think could make an impact, I, in, uh, both to the Chargers this season and to the Chargers in future seasons by walking and getting paid next year. There's still a little meat on the bone that we'll visit at the end of the video, like I said. But let's break down the market projections for some of these players right after we get a reminder of what teams are looking for when signing somebody in the free agency. So what are teams going to pay for? How are we going to get some of these CFAs, compensatory free agents, the most money possible to bring in some good draft capital? Well, remember, teams will prioritize, first and foremost, production with a recency bias. Age, health, what position the individual plays, and whether or not they were on a winning team. Winning can make up for a lot of deficiencies in a player's uh, skill set. Uh, if he's had some recent success, he's definitely going to get paid a little bit more. If he's playing deep into the playoffs or maybe in the in the Super Bowl, that's one reason why 
teams often have Super Bowl hangovers is because it's so hard to retain all those players that have had, you know, better, the better season that comes with being on a Super Bowl team. You know, you would think that statistically they did well individually and all the postseason exposure they get. It's pretty significant. And just as a little note, speed is also a little little tertiary priority that pushes up values for wide receivers and DBs. So that is something that you got to note when players have this like unreal athletic trait. It could even be like insane strength that is paired with, you know, that is something of, of importance for their given position. You know, that might edge them up just a tiny bit because, hey, that's something that can't be coached. So anytime you have those kind of athletically, you know, gifted kind of outliers, they might get a little uptick in pay as well. So let's start off our, our market projections with Jerry Tillery. And as you'll see under with the ages of each player, that is their age in the season that they will, in the off season that they'll be re-signing basically. So, or signing with another team. So next year, in next off season, Jerry Tillery will be right around 27. He'll, um, he currently has 98 tackles and 9.5 sacks to his name, which is not impressive. The only little shred of hope there is it has steadily grown each year. What is extremely interesting is Tillery's in a season right now where he is going to have the most talent he's ever had around him. That's pretty unquestionable at this point. He's It's undeniable. We have Mac on one side, Bosa on another, and I would say... I think both interior defensive linemen that we brought in and Sebastian Joseph Day and Austin Johnson are better fits than anyone else we've ever had on that D-line. So, Tillery's in this position, whereas a first, former first-round pick, you know, he has been the most, you know, unproductive player on that line, which should mean he has the most opportunity to have a bounce-back big year. That to me is interesting. Now, in looking at my my comps, those guys to the right, um, they all had better PFF scores um, than Tillery by a mile. Tillery's PFF scores are terrible. But give the guy one solid year. Give him a year with elite talent around him. And if he, let's just say, gets seven or eight sacks, which is an uptick for him. I know that would be pretty insane, but I also don't think there's any excuse for him not to get that kind of production when he has so much talent around him. And that's what I'm really hoping for right now. Now, let's say he has a 30, 40 tackle season, you know, around eight sacks, a half a sack a game. All of a sudden you're looking at about 140 tackles in his career, maybe 130, let's just say and 17 and a half sacks. So some of these players play different roles for their teams, but it's kind of hard to judge a Jerry Tillery defensive end type against, you know, a Harrison Phillips who's more of just a run stuffer. But I'm doing the best I can here, so please forgive me. <laughs> but Florenzo, um here please forgive me here. Fatukusi, Fatukusi is the first guy. Sorry, butchering names left and right. Uh, he's had three full seasons of play with 115 tackles and three sacks. Florenzo went and got himself $10 million a year with that production. Very impressive. Same age as well. DJ Jones in five seasons had 126 tackles and seven sacks. Also got seven, or also got um, $10 million a year. Harrison Phillips, 
more of a run-stuffing defensive tackle. Hasn't put up the big stats, but has been, you know, pretty solid in the middle. Four season seasons, 107 tackles and 1.5 sacks. Got him 6.5 mil. So if Jerry can get himself eight sacks, do a, and basically that would put him as kind of an outlier in these comps, but there weren't too many young defensive end comps available for me to that were like, you know, a Jerry Tillery type player. So it was very hard to gather a a great strong supporting value for him. But I do believe if he were to have an eight sack season at his age, teams would look at that and say, yeah, that's a player that's on the rise. That's a player that's, you know, hitting his stride is, you know, coming into his best years, coming into his prime. Most teams would probably look at it and say, yeah, but he was also surrounded by Mac and Bosa. But are there teams that would bet on him? Yes. Like, you know, uh, Arjun said uh, in the draft, why a reach is, you know, often a reach and why a steal is almost never a steal. You know, it only takes one person to reach. It only takes one person to overpay. The other part of this strategy is probably buying uh, the Jaguars GM season tickets to our games and paying for his flights out here because that dude likes to spend money. But anyway, if we get $10 million a year for our guy Jerry Tillery, there's a good chance we get around 10 million for him, which would be awesome. Or, or sorry, if we get 10 million a year for him, sorry, there's a good chance we get a fifth round compensatory pick for him, which would be awesome. Jalen Guyton, another guy that has he's been a little more steady than Jerry, I'd say, which is kind of crazy to say, say aloud, but uh, being that he's an undrafted free agent, but he's carved out a decent role on this team and. In really only two years of stats, he's had three seasons, but I think that first season didn't um, add to a year of his veterancy because he's only going to be a restricted free agent after this year. So really two seasons of stats, he's averaging about 30 catches, 500 yards, and three touchdowns a year. He has the speed that teams overpay for, and I'm thinking of Tyrell Williams when I say that. Tyrell had, Tyrell had way more production than Jalen. Don't get me wrong. He, he had more opportunity from some of our guys going down and him not having too many people to compete with. But he also, you know, you know we kind of saw it and that's why we didn't re-sign him and why we let him go and re-sign elsewhere. Is, you know, we thought his game was in some ways a little incomplete and that he would end up commanding more money. He would end up commanding more money than what we thought would make sense. And that's kind of exactly what happened to him. So I do believe Jalen Guyton, if he were to go and have an 800-yard, seven-touchdown season, it puts him in this category of players that recently signed this year that is right around $10 million a year um, for his next contract. You have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who had an extra year of production, but had 2,100 yards receiving and 13 touchdowns. So if we go with this projection for Jalen of having a very solid season, a wide receiver number three studly season of 800 yards, seven touchdowns, that would suddenly put him in the ballpark of about 17, 1,800 yards and 13 touchdowns, which a little bit less yardage-wise than MVS, same amount of touchdowns, but in one less year of production. So that to me is interesting. And don't tell me that MVS didn't have opportunity to put up bigger yards. He was not wedged behind two wide receiver number ones the way Jalen is. He granted he was behind the wide receiver number one, but not two of them. And he has Aaron Rodgers throwing to him. So I, I do not 
feel bad for that individual for the opportunities that he did or didn't have before. And then Russell Gage at 26, four years, 2,000 yards, just about nine touchdowns, 10 million a year. So again, another player that kind of justifies that valuation. Only a couple hundred extra yards than what Guyton would be at, four less touchdowns, and you know, one more year of production. So really, Guyton could even come down on his yardage total and be in the six or, you know, five or 600 yards, and maybe he still gets around there. But I think it's going to take him to get borderline wide receiver two numbers to really justify that and having somebody bet on his upside. I have Christian Kirk on here as well, just to show that the Jaguars do like to overpay. Uh, this, the high watermark for a player that was a wide receiver two previously that was given the reins to a new team and projects and they project him out to be a wide receiver one, it's, you know, a four season, 2,900 yards, 17 touchdown, you know, start to his career. And that got him between 19 and 21 million. And again, last year, he only had 982 yards and five touchdowns. So Guyton would not be that far off from that production with an 800-yard, seven-touchdown season, which is crazy. And that $10 million a year would put us at another fifth-round compensatory pick. So keeping track, that's two-fifths. Nasir Adderley. That would be a bummer for me to see Nasir go, but we did just draft Woods, and I know our defense can certainly survive with three stud safeties. We actually kind of call for it. But this year is also a guy that, although he's a perfect fit for Staley's defense, he's a prime candidate to get paid next year. In essentially two seasons, he's posted 170 tackles and one interception. But that doesn't jump off the page or anything like that. But he has the speed and tenacity that teams will overpay for, and he has steadily improved in each season. So let's say he has another season where he hovers around 100 tackles and a couple of turnovers paired with team success. I believe it puts him on a projection that is kind of like a floor of a DJ and Justin Reed and maybe as high of a ceiling as a Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams has... So that would put, let's just say, Nasir's total with 90 tackles and three INTs. That would put him in the ballpark of 260 yards, you know, four or five INTs. He'd be way behind Marcus Williams in the in the interception department, but three seasons of production, 260 tackles, that's not too far away from Marcus's five years, 320 tackles and 15 interceptions. DJ Reed and, and Nasir also should be credited for being such a willing run stopper as well. And those kind of hybrid players do end up moving the needle from a, you know, pay standpoint. DJ Reed at 25, got a contract for four years or for 11 million a year. And in four years, he made 194 tackles and four INTs. So statistically, Nasir has a chance to really blow DJ Reed out of the water with this kind of season next year by having a very impressive tackle count and kind of matching that interception count as well. Justin Reed at 25 has four years under his belt with 315 tackles and seven interceptions. He got paid 10 and a half million a year, but he was on the Texans. So could, he, could a lot of meat have been left on the bone because he didn't come from a winning organization? That's an interesting thing to think about. So with 
with all of this kept in mind, I personally see Nasir at right around 12 million plus a year, which would net us a fourth round pick. That would be pretty rad. Drew Tranquil, really quick, guys. We don't have to go over this too long. I didn't even provide comps, but I really think, you know, Drew only has 11 starts in his three-year career thus far. I think Drew's going to need a really solid year for somebody to reach to, you know, take a chance in signing him to some decent money. If he goes and puts up a career year for himself, like Kaiser White did last year, I think he runs a serious risk of being another Kaiser White. You know, sure, if he's the first one signed by a team like the Jaguars to get a little too excited, who knows what might happen. But given that he's going to be splitting time probably with Murray, with hopefully with Neiman a little bit, he might lose a couple snaps to Van Noy. I think he's the least likely to possibly affect the compensatory formula. I would honestly prefer them to try to bring him back as cheaply as possible on another prove-it deal and give him a chance to show, hey, I can be healthy, I can be an impact player here, and then he goes and gets paid. So that's just me personally. If he does leave, I think the best possible compensation he gets is for around three or four million a year, which would put him at maybe the seventh round. But with how many players we have leaving, I think we're going to have quite a few that qualify for that seventh round pick compensatory uh, or seventh round compensatory pick. So unless we're bringing in a bunch of guys in that seventh round area, it's kind of redundant. I would rather us just not sign players in the compensatory period, personally. Kyle Van Noy gets a little exciting here. He's age 33 next year when he's on the free agent market again. He's a versatile stud with experience at edge, outside linebacker, and occasionally inside linebacker and sub packages. He'll likely be rotating at edge, and he might take snaps for us at inside linebacker as well. It's kind of my hope. I think he'd make for a great third down package. Or it'd be really cool to see that NASCAR package show up again with Bosa bumping inside and, you know, punishing some guards and Van Noy doing his thing on the edge. It's just a very fun combination to think about. Over the last two years, he's had decent production with 11 sacks and 15 tackles for a loss. If Van Noy shows that he can get to the passer and still play at a high level, and I say that because for some reason on the Pat McAfee show, Van Noy uh, alluded to feeling like his market was low because players or teams didn't think he could produce outside of New England, which I thought was kind of ridiculous. I know uh, Dolphins fans love the guy, so it's a very weird situation. But if he goes and performs, he could still get a good payday. You look at Chandler Jones at 32. He has 10 and a half sacks. He had 10 and a half sacks last year, 12 tackles for a loss. When I, when I saw what he signed for, I was initially like, wow, that's crazy. Because I only remembered his big game against the Titans where he got five sacks in like the first week of the season. But it turns out he did still put up some extra production after that. You know, another five and a half sacks, tack some tackles for a loss. Dude got paid. And when you prove you can take over a game, teams do tend to overpay for that as well. Uh, Campbell, uh, Calias Campbell uh, signed for $6.25 million a year at age 35. He's a different type of player, obviously, than Van Noy. He's more of an interior defensive lineman, even though he's listed as a defensive end. But that dude's big. Uh, he's a run stuffer. He's kind of an, just an everything for the Ravens. He's an absolute stud. So his stats don't matter as much. Uh, five and a half sacks, 10 tackles for a loss in the last two years. 
Um, really, I think he just sets kind of a floor because of that production at $6.25 million a year. But that would be if Kyle Van Noy comes out this season and shows up, like gets like six sacks or something like that, that, you know, would basically be more than Campbell's previous two years and more on pace for a, you know, a good second edge for somebody to show like, hey, I don't have to be edge three, this rotational role. I'm edge three on this team because they have Mac and Bosa, but on your team, I'm going to be edge one B. That's, you know, hopefully the kind of season he has, and I think a team will pay for that. So I would say, oh, and then Golston, William Golston at 30 had a had seven and a half sacks in the last two years, 15 tackles for a loss, and he only signed for four and a half million. So really I'd want to see Van Noy's, you know, sack total to try to be over that five or six sack mark. And at that point, he's averaging about six, five or six sacks for the previous three years. And that shows consistency, production. It would be in multiple schemes, so I think that'd be you know a very good sign for him and a good opportunity for him to sign for a decent amount. I have six to eight million as my projection, assuming that you know with my Homer glasses on he does really well, but that would put us in the sixth round. Bryce Callahan is interesting. He's going to be 31 next season, and the market for cornerbacks that are over 31 this year did not look good for did not. Farewell for guys like Bryce. Stephon Gilmore is the gold standard. He's, he was 31 and a half. And even though he's like a defensive defensive player of the year, just absolute stud, has won the Super Bowl a few times, if you've heard about it. Um, he's He only signed for 10 million a year, which is kind of crazy. So that right there, that is a low ceiling for a player that's as accomplished and skilled as he is. Casey Hayward is interesting because he's a little bit older, but bounced back after having an off year, he would represent what Bryce Callahan could do if for whatever reason injury forces Bryce to be a really full-time starter to take, you know, 80 to 90% of the snaps of the season and shows up and shows out and does great, stays healthy, is very productive and shows that he can be a, you know, maybe not a CB1, but a CB2, you know, or even a, a return to his role of being a very productive slot cornerback that can stay healthy. So that would be the absolute best case situation for him. But I think he would still need to prove, even after this year, he might get another prove it deal to just show he can stick around and, and keep producing and that his injury woes are really behind him. I think it's more likely that we see him get a Logan Ryan, who's another slot cornerback type contract, same age, similar production over their careers, you know, got the vet minimum this year. I think Bryce Callahan goes and gets the vet minimum next next year. Maybe at best, if he does a little bit better, he gets up into like the two or three million a year point, which that would get closer to, you know, a seventh round pick, but I would not count on it just yet. So overall, the outcome, what we can expect would be, uh, based on my projections, what I'm hoping for, a fourth, two-fifths, and one-sixths. Remember, this is for our cancellation chart in 2023, which means this would be picks awarded to us in 2024, right around when Herbert's, you know, contract is probably going to be extended. We probably won't have ramped up on him yet. Like, it will probably keep that cap hit low for the first couple of years. But 
this is going to be when we're going to need to start drafting an excess amount of players to make sure that we keep our you know cap space low in the future years to come. Uh, so with these picks that could just one fourth example of fourth round compensatory picks this year was, you know, your your guy, Calvin Austin, third and Zach Tom, two guys that would have been, you know, had spots until until we got Salier on our team. Zach Tom would have been a great pickup and early fifths would have included Kennard and Shakir. So that right there, one of those guys would have been a great addition onto this roster. In the fifth round, where we have two picks right now, brought into like this last, to make it you know relevant for you, to bring it into last year, two fifth round picks were John Ridgway and Kingsley and Agbare. Um, early six that we also could have um, picked up, you know, that weren't compensatory picks, but were there early in the sixth round. There's a very small difference difference between the two. Were Matt Ariza, uh, Darian Beavers, and Amari Barno. I think all three of those guys were on the Guilty as Charged podcast's radar as potential fits for us. In the sixth round, we would have one pick as well. And this year, that would have translated to Tyreek Castro-Fields, Kalia Davis, who's someone I was high on, or somebody in the early seventh, like Bo Melton or Zaya Thomas. So these aren't just useless picks, guys. These are picks that could have brought in considerable talent that would have served a role on our roster. So it's just important to think about, especially as these luxury players that we have right now, like a Khalil Mack. Like that's not a guy that we would necessarily have the cap space for if Herbert wasn't on a rookie contract. You can kind of look at um, Mack and Allen as two great examples of you know, older vets that are here because they are, they represent that win now culture that we have and what we can afford to be paying out for players when we have a quarterback making seven or eight million dollars a year. I think, you know, Max making plus 20 right now, Allen's making plus 20. Would we be able to retain those guys if we were also paying a quarterback? I don't, I don't know. It's going to be a little sticky in a couple of years, but again, they're going to push. They're going to push his contract hit out anyway. A couple of years, we'll be fine. I think both those guys end up seeing the end of their deals. Now let's go back to a slide from our original video together on the compensatory picks. Remember this this one, this trade uh, back when the Patriots and Bill Belichick traded their uh, third round pick for San Francisco's fifth round pick and Trent Brown. Just slid down two rounds and picked up a who was going to be Pro Bowl right tackle. Insane. How could we do that? And and he ended up getting them a third round compensatory pick in 2020. Awesome pick. Mike, this is like my dream come true scenario. So how do we do that? What if how could TT do a BB? That's my that's my really lame question of the day. Uh, I wrote this before. Obviously, May 10th, so I apologize that this might be coming to you a little late. So let's just say, imagine on May 12th or 13th or whenever you're reading this, the Chargers and the Jaguars agree to terms. The Jaguars get a Chargers 2023 third rounder, and we get a Jacksonville fifth rounder in Jawan Taylor, who ends up turning into a third or fourth round compensatory pick in 2024. It's kind of exciting, right? Like, why would this work? How would this work? Well, Juwan Taylor, to me, represents the exact type of player that you want to target when you're making these trades. And forgive me, I haven't scouted Taylor thoroughly. 
I'm just going off of his, you know, pedigree and that he he was seen as a first-round talent that fell to the early, early second round when he was drafted and has been on a team that has been largely dysfunctional. So he has the athletic traits. He had the college production. He is somebody that on paper has been a, or, you know, has slightly disappointed, I'd say. Like PFF have, has his grade right around the low 60s. So it's not like he's been abysmal, but he has underwhelmed. And I think a lot of it can be attributed to his quarterbacks that he's played with. The dysfunction of the Jacksonville Jaguars organization certainly plays a hand in it. And, you know, he also, well, there, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, he, he just, in general, has been in, you know, a, a very tough situation. And if brought to a team where he's surrounded by stud offensive linemen, could he absolutely take off this year with Justin Herbert at the helm? I absolutely think so. I think that's, a, to me, I think I think that that's an easy sell. So the other interesting thing and what you need to look at, what I look at before I actually start scouting, guys, is what teams have drafted a replacement already for a player that's in a contract year, if that makes sense. Walker Little was drafted by the Jaguars in the early second round, I believe, earlier mid-second round last year. They re-signed Cam Robinson in the offseason. So that tells me, oh, and it's important to know, Jawan Taylor wasn't drafted by Balky, or however you say his name. Jawan Taylor was drafted by their previous GM. <laughs> Don't know his name off the top of my head, but he was drafted by the previous GM. Balky drafted Walker Little. So who do you think the organization's more loyal to at this point? Taylor's in his contract year. He's not been re-signed. There's an opportunity to go and grab him now, give him a year of a stud offense that is going to play in primetime games, and all of a sudden his market value next year is going to be way, way, way better, in my opinion. So that's actually the presentation. So, yeah, we're right back to compensatory picks, where we all started together, which is really cool for me. I hope you guys enjoyed this presentation. I think one thing I'd love to hear you chatting about in the comments, if you'd like, is, is there another right tackle that you think would be a great fit for us to trade for? And that's why I didn't include Storm or Pipkins in my, you know, market projections. Like, could they, could, could Pipkins, you know, start? I really don't understand why everyone's assuming that Pipkins is the starter when he never took the job from Storm all year last year. That's kind of a funny thing for me, just because Duke Merriweather posted his client list and said, hey, these are the guys that are the most improved. Well, hey, guys, if I, I'm a real estate agent by trade. That's what I do for work. If I posted a list of my clients and said, hey, these are the uh, buyers or sellers that had the best real estate transactions this last year, would, would you actually believe me on that? I don't know. I don't know. That's just me. But um, at, that, that just cracks me up. So personally... Yeah, maybe one of them comes in and performs at a starting caliber level, even if they were to just be average on that line. If they could somehow just be average, yes, they could sign a compensatory pick worthy contract next year, and that'd be great. But I think there's more upside by going after somebody that at one point was never seen as an undrafted guy, wasn't reached for in the third round, that was a reach, but was 
um, a borderline first round talent and just needs to be put in the right situation to reclaim some of that former glory. So tell me what you guys think. If you have another suggest suggestion on a right tackle you think we should pick up, I'd love to hear it. Otherwise, bolt up and I look forward to continuing our conversations throughout the season.